0: Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from Paul's first letter to Timothy chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. First of all then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in authority, in order that we might live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who invites us to pray in his name, In my Bible, the heading for this section of 1 Timothy is instructions for worship. If you were to write a book giving instructions about worship, what would you put in there? Well, you know, it's important that we have a space to worship in. Maybe it's it's important, maybe you would put in there that, that we should have a clean and comfortable place to worship our Lord. Maybe you'd say, well, the music ought to be pleasant and agreeable and the sermon really ought to be captivating. Maybe you would say it better be limited to 60 minutes because I have other things to do today. Or maybe you would give the good Lutheran answer and you would say, well, the most important thing about worship is that it has to be focused on Jesus. Could be any or all of those things. Paul takes us a little different direction though. He says, first of all, in his instructions about worship, first of all, pray. Now, when I was younger, I didn't really understand prayer. I thought it was the dullest and most boring part of the church service. It just seemed like a lot of standing and listening. And, and I don't know about you, but I always found it very easy to let my mind wander to other things, to what was for lunch or who the Packers were playing, or, or let my eyes wander to what the people around me were doing. But that's not at all what Paul has in mind here. He doesn't have wandering thoughts or wandering eyes in mind. He, he tells us that prayer is absolutely essential to our worship. He says, first of all, in worship, pray. Why is, why is prayer so essential for Christian worship? Because it reflects the reality. It reflects the reality of our standing before God. It reflects the reality that we are all beggars. We come to God with empty hands every, each and every Sunday and we need to ask Him to give us everything we need for body and life as we walk out those doors to begin another week. That is the reality and therefore the only proper posture for us to come into God's house and call Him our Father is to be on our knees begging Him for His mercy. Paul uses four words to describe the wide-ranging nature of Christian prayer. He talks about petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. That covers a whole range of things, doesn't it? Well, petitions, they're exactly what it sounds like. It's making a request to God. As Jesus says that we come to God confidently asking Him as, as confidently as we would a, a young child would ask their dear father. Intercessions, that's pretty self-explanatory too, right? When we intercede, we are coming to God's throne to, to ask him for something on behalf of someone else. Is there any time in our lives where we are busier interceding for others than when we become parents? Isn't that when we most fully realize how utterly powerless we are? How little control we have over anything? How we hold a little child in our arms and we think, what am I doing? I don't know. I have no clue what I'm doing. Lord, teach me how to be a parent. And it doesn't end when they're in your arms, does it? When they get their first bike and they're traveling all throughout the neighborhood, you pray. When they go off to school, when they get their first driver's license, you pray. When they start to date, especially, you pray. Although, John and Brianna, I don't think you have to worry about Addison. With two big brothers, she's, she's pretty safe. We pray, we intercede. When we hear that others are sick or in trouble, we pray. We intercede on their behalf before the throne of God in heaven. We offer prayers. That's a a very general word. It covers basically everything. But I think the most important thing we should remember that when we offer our prayers is the first thing we are to do is is offer praise to God for who he is and what he has done. When, When Jesus teaches us, pray our Father in heaven, That is ascribing to God all power and all glory, all dominion over everything in this world. And it's a good reminder for us to remember who we are praying to. And then he says pray with thanksgivings. That kind of bring our prayers full circle, right? So we've, we've begun with petitions asking God for things that we don't have, that we need, and only He can give us. And then we close by thanking Him for giving us those very things. Now, Paul is mostly talking about what happens in public, corporate worship like we're doing here today, the types of prayers that we should offer together. But that's a good model for our individual prayer life too, isn't it? Isn't it easy to get stuck in a, a prayer rut? You know, if we pray at all, isn't it easy to, to pray in anything but a model manner? We get stuck praying only for myself and we forget to pray for other people. We get stuck in a rut of praying only for material things while forgetting the more important spiritual things. Sometimes our prayers can sound a lot like a child's Christmas list, can't they? God, I want this and this and this and that and I want it now. As we heard last week, we can sometimes become like Martha where we have the gall to tell God what He ought to do rather than Humbly asking him. So this is a good model for our individual prayer lives as well. And and maybe if you don't want to follow this model, if it's not easy to remember, there's something called the ACTS model, A-C-T, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So again, first of all, we adore God. We praise him for who he is the almighty ruler of heaven and earth. We confess our sins as a reminder, just as Abraham was reminded that we are just dust and ashes that we don't deserve to ask God for anything. We offer our thanksgiving, and then we only then ask our petitions, our supplications, A-C-T-S, a good way to to form our prayers. Often when we're, we're thinking of praying, The question that leads us is, well, what should I be praying for? Paul doesn't answer the what. He says there's the who. Pray for all people. Well, that's a little overwhelming, isn't it? Estimates are that there are almost 8 billion people in the world. How can you possibly pray for them all? How can you possibly know what all of them need? But actually, it's a pretty simple and straightforward command that Paul gives us to pray for all people. He says, we pray that God's will would be carried out for every single one of those almost 8 billion people. And what is God's will? God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you've been praying for all people. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you pray your your name be hallowed, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, you are praying For for the Lord to reach down out of heaven and cause his name to be proclaimed, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done for all people. At the same time, if you know of individuals in your life who are still stumbling around in the darkness of unbelief, you should name them. Pray that God's will be done for them too, that they too would come to a knowledge of the truth, that most basic truth, that twofold truth, that there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but are redeemed by his grace which comes through the redemption provided by Christ Jesus. Now, if we pray for all people, obviously we're not leaving anyone out, but Paul identifies a specific group of people that we ought to consciously pray for. And it's probably not the group you would have guessed. Pray for kings and all those in authority. I don't know about you, but the government hasn't always been a priority in my prayer life. It's not always easy to pray for those whom God has appointed to be our rulers, our leaders. This wouldn't have been very easy for the Christians that Paul was writing to to do either. It would have been no easy task for them. Just remember the time in which they were living, the, the mid, mid first century when the emperor was Nero these Christians saw their friends and their family members, their fellow Christians hunted down and then thrown into coliseums all across the Roman Empire where they were tortured and sacrificed for the entertainment of the Roman crowds. These Christians saw themselves hunted down, targeted specifically by the Roman government for persecution. Their religion was banned. And if you were found out to be a Christian, you would be immediately put to death. You would think, given that circumstance, that Paul would tell Timothy, you charge God's throne and you pray that hellfire would rain down on that wicked government. You would think he would at least say, well, let's all band together in some civil disobedience for all the outrageous things that have been happening to us. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, pray for those who are hunting you down and persecuting you and targeting you for your faith. Pray for them. Again, I don't think praying for our government always is very easy or very natural for us. Sure, the government in America is not hunting us down because of our Christianity. They are not torturing us and... They have not yet banned our public worship of our Lord and Savior, as is evidenced by the fact that we can freely gather here around word and sacrament without any fear. But maybe the day is coming when Christianity will be banned in America, when it will be more than just words that they say that teaching God's word and will is bigoted and intolerant, when it will become illegal, as it has in many places around the world. It's hard sometimes to pray for those elected leaders when they they not only condone, but they also praise and support immoral activities, sexual immorality, homosexual marriage, the murder of the unborn. It's really hard to pray for someone who supports those wicked things. It's hard to pray for those politicians who are exposed as being immoral and corrupt in their personal lives. It doesn't seem right that we should ask for God to bless them. But there's a very good reason that we should. We should pray for even those immoral and unbelieving and godless leaders because, Paul says, so that we might live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and dignity. History teaches us that it's much easier for Christians to live in peace and quiet and gather for worship in peace and quiet when there is peace and quiet in our society. Think of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was writing to the exiles in Babylon and he didn't tell them to rise up in rebellion against the wicked Babylonians, but rather he said pray for them because if they have peace and quiet, you will in your life as well. Think about the opposite of that too. When there isn't peace and quiet, how difficult it is for us to lead godly and dignified lives. Think of what happened in the last hours of Jesus' life when mob rule overtook the rule of law. Think of how Peter folded like that under the pressure, how he denied his Lord and Savior. Think about how difficult it would have been to be moral and... Upright Christian during the days of the Revolutionary or Civil Wars. When, when brothers were, were killing brothers. When blood is shed, when hundreds of thousands of people die. How do you maintain your faith that God is good and loving when such evil atrocities are happening? I really feel for our brothers and sisters in Christ over in Ukraine right now. Is it possible for them to worship in peace and quiet when there are air raid sirens going off every hour, every day? When, when they are being asked to take up arms against other people and the, the atrocities that are happening over there? Is it possible to worship in peace and quietness? So, so we should pray for our leaders. Whether we agree with their policies or not, we should pray for them. We should pray, first of all, that God would convert them that they would come to know Christ as their Savior too because that will have the biggest impact of all. But failing that, we would pray that God would thwart their evil purposes. This overturning of Roe v. Wade is the answer to hundreds of millions of Christians' prayers that this atrocity would no longer be condoned in our nation, that the unborn are people whose lives deserve protection. We pray for them. For our leaders, because this is good and pleases God, our Savior. Whether it feels easy or natural or not, make the conscious effort to pray for your leaders. So that's the the how and the who we pray for. But the most important part of prayer is obviously, who are you praying to? Paul says we pray to one God. And this one God is not some nameless, faceless, distant being that we could never come to know. He's revealed himself throughout the pages of Scripture. He's revealed himself as the creator of everything, as the one who controls everything, as the one who controls the, if you live in Stoughton like I do, the the magnificent storm from last night, The, the lightning and the thunder. Imagine a God who controls things that are so powerful, so much bigger than us. He's the God who stitched you together in your mother's womb. He's the God who knows how many hairs you have on your head. In practical terms, our God, the God we pray to, is the one who can watch over little children like Addison, even when we can't, and even when we're sleeping. He's the God who who can provide food and fuel and shelter, even when your bank account says that you can't. He's the God who is in control of viruses and pandemics and inflation and conflict, even when it seems like the most powerful people in the world are totally powerless to do anything about them. But he's also, as Abraham noted, the judge of all the earth. He is a holy God who cannot tolerate evil in his presence. We sometimes forget that, don't we? That when we come here into God's house, this is not like walking into a movie theater or an athletic event. This is different. This is more like walking into a courtroom in our orange jumpsuits with handcuffs and shack leg shackles and we have to plead guilty before our holy God. We have to plead guilty of all, all of our sins. All of the ways that we have offended Him. All of the ways that our prayers have been anything but what He desires from us. We come here guilty into the presence of a holy God. Do you understand how terrifying that is? In the Old Testament, when people were confronted with the glory of God, they they trembled. They fell on their faces. When God appeared on Mount Sinai, the people trembled. They said, Moses, you go talk to God. We can't stand it. When Isaiah saw the glory of God in a vision, he said, Woe to me, I am ruined because I I am a man of unclean lips. When Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured in glory, they fell on their faces stunned like dead men. When the Apostle John saw the glory of God in his vision in the book of Revelation, he too fell on his face like a dead man. The, The glory of God is something to behold, something that we cannot handle. But we forget that sometimes, don't we? We treat worship pretty nonchalantly as if this is just a movie or some other activity. Failing to understand, as one of the the best Lutheran writers right now said on prayer, that when we come to God in prayer, we are entering the lion's den. We are coming before someone who should rightly destroy us for our sinfulness, and we do not deserve to come into his presence because our sins have separated us from him. We have no right to expect that God would hear our prayers. Because we can't come to Him on our own, dressed in our filthy, sinful rags. But that's what makes the last line of this section so important. There is one God, a holy God, a just God, a God who cannot tolerate evil, but there is also one mediator, the man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. We cannot come to God on our own, on our own merits. We don't have to. We come based on Jesus' merits. Jesus had a perfect prayer life unlike any of us. And now his perfect prayer life is what God sees credited to our account. All those times we've shaken our fist at God and saying, God, why are you doing this? Or you should do this? Or God, I want this and this and this and this and I want it now. Jesus paid for those sins by offering his life on the cross. The ransom price to free us from those sins. And now he stands at God's right hand as our mediator. He is pleading our case. So when you walk into those doors, do picture God up here sitting on his judgment throne in all of his glory and remember to come in with humility, but then look to the side where you have to sit at the the defendant's table And see your Lord Jesus sitting there by your side saying, it's going to be okay because I have won your innocence for you. We pray in humility because God is holy and we are not. But we pray boldly because Jesus has made us righteous in the eyes of God. These are directions on worship. What should be the most important thing for worship? The the building, the music, the pastor, the sermon, the length. Paul says prayer. Pray with intercessions and petitions and prayers and thanksgivings for all people everywhere. Because God our Savior wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for your elected leaders. If you haven't done it in a while, do it today. Name them. Pray that the gospel may come to them too, that their hearts may be converted and they may be saved. Pray in humility, knowing that you are approaching a holy God. Pray confidently because that's why Jesus lived and died and rose, to grant you the privilege of prayer. We pray in his holy name today and every day. Amen.